You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and so excited at whoa, oh, oh, so bright. What's with all the sequins? Listen, I like a good jumpsuit, and this is on loan, so I felt like wearing it today. Okay, it's purple, it's sequins. Get with the picture. Oh, I, I, I mean, I'm definitely with the. It's it's quite blinding. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely a, a great look, Christy. Great look. Uh, uh, apparently, um, you just got back from that Oscars after party. Yeah. Um, and before that, I was hiking up the top of a mountain in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere on an island. Oh wow, goodness! So you've had a busy night. I mean, hopefully nobody got slapped. So yeah. Well, we have so much to talk about tonight. We are going to be talking about the new movie with uh, Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum that just came out into the theater there, The Lost City. And before we dive into that, though, just want to say thank you uh, to all that are listening. We appreciate it. Of course, um, too, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you are on a podcast provider that allows you to rate or uh give a review for the podcast like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate if you did that for us. It continues to help people find the show when you give us good ratings on those places. So that would be awesome. You can also find us on social media at the 602 Club. And of course, we're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. So two slightly different names there. Uh, You can also find us online with the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We're also online at trek.fm and where you can see all the different shows we're doing. And of course, you've got the listeners only discussion group there on Facebook called the Babel Conference. You can join and talk to listeners from all over the world about the different shows that we are doing. And of course, want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's been supporting us through Patreon. They are the people that make sure great quality content like the 602 Club and everything else here on the network keeps coming to you. So go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can be part of our team. And we say that because in all honesty, this can't happen without listeners just like you. So again, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and every little bit helps. So uh, we really appreciate it to everybody who uh, makes sure that um, you can keep getting quality podcasts here from trek.fm. So so, Christy, I'm really interested. One, we don't talk about a ton of like kind of like rom coms here on uh, the the network, you know, really, uh, or the 602 Club. And so, I just kind of wondering going into this one, um, how you feel about those type of movies, and was this like a trailer or something that you saw and you were excited for? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say I'm definitely a rom-com person. I get kind of picky about them, but um, I like that this one, this one, obviously, we chose to cover because it's a combination of geek content and a rom-com combined. You know, it's a, it's actually kind of a new genre, they called it, um, an action adventure rom-com. Yeah. Um, I, 
I like that. Um, and I think you're a hundred percent, you know, you kind of nailed one of the reasons why we cover this is, is because it has some similarities to like an action adventure type movie. Like it takes, you know, some pieces of like an Indiana Jones or romancing the stone or those kind of things that, mm-hmm. you know, really, um, it, it, it's blending the genres, but you know, like you, I'm actually a big fan, honestly, of rom-coms. They're some of my favorite movies, really. Um, you know, I, I'm also picky. Uh, I, I don't just like anything and everything because sometimes I think, you know, uh, there are definitely good ones and there are definitely bad ones, you know, uh, right. give me a sleep was in Seattle or Notting Hill or, you know, uh, you've got mail type of thing, uh, over other types. She's of, just not huh. that into you. Yeah, exactly. So, but I was also interested in this just because I think, you know, it's, this is something that Sandra Bullock, you know, she was originally approached for the role and she originally passed on the role because she felt like this was just kind of an outdated thing because this movie's been in development for the last seven years. And so with that in mind, um, do you, do you feel like, that's the case. Uh, do you feel like people have kind of lost their taste for these type of films? Or do you feel like she made the right call in kind of coming back to this type of movie and, and doing The Lost City? So it's kind of funny to me, ironically, that she passed on it originally and then came back to it because she said it was outdated. Because personally, I feel like this general plot line is something that's not going to say necessarily timeless, but it does have more of a um, ability to be transformed again and again um, to be updated. And this definitely, to me, um, follows in the footsteps of like a romancing the stone, like you said, which originally came out in 1984. So, I mean, clearly it's a good time to bring it back because it's people in like you're in my age groups that would be consuming this kind of content again. So I think that she made the right choice by coming back to it. And I don't think it's an outdated concept at all. So I was kind of surprised to hear she said that. Yeah, I was a little bit too. And it does seem as though, and there isn't a ton of information on this. I I did some digging to see if I could find anything else. Um, But I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, with the seven years of development, that they came a, uh, across, the, you know, just the right bit in the script to kind of reel her in. And, you know, part of that is that I think that this was kind of a fun story idea, um, you know, with her being a romance author who was actually, you know, had been married to somebody who was an archaeologist. You know, she's somebody who's also... Uh, you know, studied widely in these different areas as well. And so, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of her books had basis in kind of a reality for her um, at, with this character of Dash that she had created. And then once her husband dies, you know, that muse, that inspiration is gone. And for her, it's just not the same. And I thought that was a a great idea for a way to tell this story and a way to kind of make the action that happens in the movie and kind of the zaniness that ends up happening really work. Right. Like tying it all back together to this core piece of her character 
was such an important emotional driver of the whole story. I think that you hit the nail on the head that this is not um, like Romancing in the Stone in the sense of um, it's a, a single woman with a bunch of cats who is sitting at home writing about the life she wished she had. This is different because it's a woman who's writing about a life she lived with her husband and unfortunately lost him um, too soon. And so it's about her journey then figuring out how to move on and still feel like she has something to tell good stories from and to then live life again. Um, and you can definitely empathize with her feeling um, like there's no motivation to go on anymore and that her love for her husband was what motivated her to do so many books. Yeah, I I think that's a that's a really good point. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking that, and I, you know, obviously there's, I don't, there's no information on what the original scripts were like, but I think that there's more depth to the story by having this be something where you're, it's a, it's a story about loss and pain and moving on and all of those things because of the fact that, you know, she had had a husband who was an archaeologist, you know, and that in many ways, that's where the basis for her stories comes from. You know, we we get the, the feeling that there's some actual history that she uses as a basis for the stories. They're very much, you know, classic romance novels, too, where it's it's more about the love story than it is about, you know, the historical accuracy or anything. But you get the feeling like she strives for historical accuracy and part of that because is because of who her husband was in the first place and what their life was like. And I just, I think the thing about this is that if it had just been a story about this woman who was a romance novelist who gets pulled into this and it didn't have the kind of more tragic background really and the basis in who her husband had been and who they had been together I don't think that this movie works half as well because I think that really kind of gives us a emotional underpinning, which, you know, I think it would have been outdated if that hadn't been the case for the story. Yeah, exactly. It it would have been, um, it would have felt very stereotyping of women in general and um, she's not supposed to be that way and real people aren't that way, you know? Um, and I think that it does give this basis then to showing how her, um, connection with Alan grows to where then it expands into her wanting to live life again, to love again, and that it's not something that can happen overnight. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I did love that joke at the end where he's like immediately going to like the, um, sexy jokes and she's like no 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 that's not a chapter one thing that's like a chapter yeah. seven thing yeah yeah <laughs> you gotta build up to it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and you know as we're you know talking about the story i think one of the main thematic elements is is really for her you know this fear of moving on you know for loretta after her husband's death she can't seem moving past that you know and part of that is is her reaction was to kind of shut down lock herself in her house she really hasn't left 
her house in years. Um, and she's kind of stayed cloistered. She hasn't allowed life to come in. And, you know, in, in many ways, I just, I was resonating with this because I've seen the after effects of a lot of the things that happened during COVID um, really represented in what she was struggling with, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you kind of lock yourself away from community, um, you you can become almost addicted to that because then there's that fear of other people. There's that fear of, of like, it, you know, judgment from them and, and even just like the fear of living life again. And I thought that this really took the movie in an interesting direction to and made it kind of timely really just when the movie's coming out and everything um and so i really appreciated that you know this is part of the story because it, again i think it makes for such a better story to have this there than you know just having it be something kind of superfluous yeah, I mean, it, it's funny how it ended up being so timely with what's going on. Like you said, it's it's something that I think we all learned is similar to what her character is experiencing because we thought that it was the safe choice, but then also there's all these um, unrealized side effects of being cloistered inside your home where you think you're safe. Um, it We didn't realize how much humanity is made to need each other and that the more you're isolated the more your mental health takes a toll even though that feels like Mm -hmm. it's safer than going out into the unknown mentally it's really bad for most people Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and and i mean i i think it's interesting because you know the answer for her is about kind of being forced out into the world and the mm-hmm. uncomfortable nature of that and then getting to, you know, experience life again. And that, you know, you made this point um, on our outline I thought was great, which is she's experienced such a tragic loss. And in that loss, by cloistering herself in her home, she's forgotten that life has good things to offer has exciting things to offer. And, you know, I think one of the beauties is the movie shows that it is people helping us get back out there and experience life again. And, you know, Alan helps her see that, you know, that the life, yeah, it has bad things, but it also has good things too. And Mm -hmm. most of the time what we're shutting ourselves off from them when we shut ourselves down is the good things that life has to offer. Because what we end up doing then is just wallowing in the bad. Yeah. Well, and I mean, she's even shutting herself off from Beth, if you think about it. Like, even though Beth is technically her publisher or, you know, tour Mm -hmm. arranger, she also is her best friend. And she's completely ignoring her as well. And then Beth is also someone that comes later to save her. So clearly she cares about her other than just being her manager. Mm Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I absolutely think that's 100% correct because, you know, one of the other things that she does here in her fear, she is hurting other people 
You know, Mm -hmm. there are people that look to her for their, you know, their livelihood. They look to her for, um, you know, she's a part of a community that she's created. And by removing herself from that community, she's hurting them. So people like Beth, like Alan, and, and in some ways, you know, even her fans, you know, and when we close ourselves off, we're not just hurting us. You know, we're hurting other people because we are actually removing the blessing that we could be to them. And so I think that is something that, you know, this movie, as silly as it is, it it shows, I think, all of those things in a way that makes it easy to be like, just think about it for a moment. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's 100% true when we do those things. Right. Like it surprisingly has all of these little um, things that come up through looking a little bit deeper into the meaning in this movie. And I love that it does show that she's the center of this world that she has created. And that if she decides to stop writing, that means literally three other people at Mm -hmm. least no longer have jobs. (laughs) Right. Possibly. I mean, Beth might have other clients, I guess. But, you know, I mean, then they've all got to find someone else to work for. And um, I think that, you know, you're definitely 100% right, too, that she she's trying to do what people want her to do. But she's such a big part of all of that. And she's not seeing that piece of it as well. Yeah, I 100% no, you're 100% right, you know, and um, and, you know, you also made this great point about the. He calls her a human mummy, uh, which <laughs> is definitely a funny meta- metaphor for being kind of a shell of a person. And right. that that that's kind of this is also the thing about, you know, when we allow fear to ruin our run our lives and, and we, you know, we withdraw, um, we do kind of become a shell of a person because, again, humanity is is meant for community. Mm-hmm. We are meant for one another. And so, you know, and when you pull yourselves away from that, you are hurting yourself. And again, you're hurting others. So that you can't just be a body moving around subsisting in general in this world that if you do that, then you're keeping yourself apart from all of the good Mm -hmm. things that could come your way. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Well, and you know, I mean, and as silly as this is, and I love that Alan even calls this out to Loretta, but, you know, he's like, I, I thought you would have known better than to be judging a book by its cover. and Or cover model. Exactly. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover model. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, well, anyway, I guess you can sometimes if you're walking down the aisle of romance novels and... Probably the saucier the picture, the saucier the story. But, but you anyway, get the that's point. Whole, yeah, and <laughs> yes, exactly. That's not the point of the metaphor here. Anyway, but I, what I liked about this is I think, you know, this might be one of the best messages for today's world, which is stop judging people by what they look like on the outside, and most of the time by traits that they can't even control you don't control or the color of your skin or the color of your eyes or you know i guess you can control the color of your hair or you know you can in some ways control what you look like physically in the sense of like how much you weigh and everything but there's a lot of things that we just automatically 
put people into categories based off of things that they they can't really control. And like people will almost always surprise us if we get to know them personally and we don't prejudge them. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what she does. I mean, she sizes him up purely off of knowing a couple of things about him. And he completely blindsides her and says, you wouldn't have known that I'm actually from Sarasota, Florida, um, that I have a great family and uh, I was really embarrassed about doing this job. Um, and, you know, to her, it was that, oh, he's just always um, lived a charmed life and moved to L.A. and wanted to make it big and ended up doing this and that he just loves all the attention and everything and and that he doesn't have anything more to offer than his good looks. And that really hurts his feelings. And I'm glad that they go that route with it and say, you know, people are more than that and that he gets to show her that he has true feelings for her and that he deserves for her to try and get to know him on a real level. Yeah, it's a great point. That's a great point. Well, and isn't, I mean, isn't that what Hollywood, you know, and so many of its movies, you know, has been trying to say specifically about the way that people look at women, right? You know, don't just judge women by what they look like. I mean, if we're going to say that, we also have to be honest and say, well, you know, just because, you know, Channing Tatum in this movie looks the way he does, we should not just judge him based on his looks and and say that, you know, he's not worth paying attention to or that he's probably a dummy, you know, just because he's blonde and he's got big muscles, you know, Mm -hmm. like – there are a lot of smart people who also enjoy taking care of their body, right? And and I yeah. think that's one of the things that we see here in the movie is that he has the ability to be more than people see him as if they would give him a chance. Yeah. And he proves that in this movie by I think even surprising himself, right? And by being more than even he almost I think thinks is possible and you know I also think you know it's really dangerous for us to treat people in that way where we only see them as you know what's on the outside Um, and when you treat people like that many times they will just live up to the expectations that you have put on them Mm -hmm. and you know I think it's better for us if if we just get to know people again on a one-on-one basis and then expect even more from them. Right. You know, like that's what Mm -hmm. I want from people, you know, and, and I I don't want to just have people see my mistakes or my flaws or whatever and think, Oh, yeah, he can't do anything else, you know, like, no. Uh, So I think there's just a lot to that in this movie. And again, it is a big, silly movie. But I do think it has some really important things to say. And I'll agree with that and add as well. Do you remember that they also show her um, judging someone else by their cover? Um, I would say when she's in the first stop of the book tour and points out a girl in the audience that she respects just because she looks studious is her word. It's a great point. She says the studious young lady in the front 
what's your question? And mm-hmm. literally the girl just says, can you tell Dash to take his shirt off? <laughs> and it's like, once again, showing you that you can't judge people by how they look and, you know, think just because someone's wearing glasses that they're more intelligent than someone else or, you know, that people that are intelligent don't also have desires. <laughs> you know, it felt like she didn't respect people as much when that was what they were interested in. And it's like, no, you need to respect people regardless. (laughs) When we just look at people and, you know, make a snap judgment, you know, I I think that's the very kind of prejudice that we're all called to like fight against, you know? And yeah, I mean, again, this is kind of a silly way of, of looking at it with, with this movie, but I think it is really important. And so Mm -hmm. I I think, yeah, you made a great point by bringing up that uh, part with, you know, the student, she calls her the studious young looking lady. And, and I, yeah, just because somebody, you know, dresses a certain way doesn't also negate the fact that maybe, maybe she enjoys, you know, very good looking men too. I mean, who doesn't? Exactly. You know? And there's there's something else here that was really interesting, and I thought this was actually really cool because, you know, being in the geek world as we are, I think we know a lot of actors who have done roles where they then possibly, you know, they felt – and like, oh, I don't know if I want to be a part of that anymore, you know, uh, and Alan – in the movie says that he realized that he was making somebody happy by being this cover model and taking on this persona of dash. Right. And, you know, I, I think of, you know, back in the day, Leonard Nimoy, you know, played Spock. He wrote a book that said, I am not Spock, you know? And then of course, later on, he wrote a book. I am Spock. And in many ways kind of coming to the realization, I think that he did, which was he made people happy. And and the, the, the role was important to people and that importance helped him. Um, you know, so many actors try to get away from their most famous roles. And I think part of that is their their fear of being typecast. And then you see the others who embrace it just because they know how much it means to people. And I thought that was a really interesting thing for this movie to say because it's so true. And you know, again, especially for, for both you and I, we know the actors who have kind of like been like that about their roles were like, oh, I'm too good for that anymore. Yeah, it was so interesting, too, that I've never heard a movie explore this before. And I, I loved that they brought that up specifically and had him say, I realized rather than being ashamed of anybody ever seeing that I was doing this cover model gig, how many people whose lives or at least day I made better and made them happy. And then I realized why I'm doing this is for those people. And I like that he even puts it back on her and says, you know, like it's all a matter of perspective. Think about how many people that you are discounting by saying that you don't want to do this anymore that love your work. And you're spitting in their face, basically, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, I thought that was a really great point. And I think that you and I definitely, like you said, have seen people that do actually embrace 
being a certain character that made people happy. And the number one person I think of is actually Peter Mayhew for playing Chewbacca. Mm. Yeah, that's no, I think that's that's a great, you know, pull of somebody who just really embraced it and loved it and tried to give people as much joy as possible throughout his life. Yeah. Yeah. The other movie I was kind of thinking of that kind of touches on this is Galaxy Quest. Oh, yeah. Good point. You have. Yeah, you know, you have the actors who are trying to they're they're spending their time at conventions, but they really would have rather been known for something else. And and what they end up realizing, you know, is that lesson like that. No, people thought this was important. And and I was giving joy and happiness to people. And that's no small thing in this world, you know, to Mm -hmm. be able to do. And so, yeah, I 100 percent love the fact that this this movie kind of touches on that a little bit. Um, And it's something that. You know, it's the complete opposite of this idea of, and I love that you pulled this out, of like being fueled by greed. Right. It, it, like, I felt like that was such a big thing in this movie where they're showing that um, unexpectedly, although you think it's going to be a treasure hunt for the crown of fire and you're going, oh, wow, it's really a real thing. There's this jeweled crown they're looking for. I love that they actually have Fairfax as a character say once he finds what he actually sees there in the city is that he spent countless hours, dollars, effort hiring people to find this. And to him, he feels like he's found nothing to show for it. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what greed will do to you. You'll realize that at the end of the day, even if you did get the thing that you were searching for, it's still not going to fulfill you that it's still just stuff. And so I thought that that was such a good point that they made saying, even kind of going for the joke again, where um, the two of, uh, you know, Alan and Loretta say, well, I think it's a very rich um, bounty we found here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> saying, you know, rich in um, emotional value. Mm-hmm. So... It it is interesting because you know, obviously for him, you know, with Fairfax, he's the exact opposite of what her husband was, right? Which you know, archaeology is is the joy of uncovering the past, um, for the benefit of everyone, you know, that and that by learning more about our past and 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 literally uncovering it, you know, we help ourselves. And we help everyone in that. And, you know, it, it brings us hopefully closer together. It brings more knowledge, understanding about the world around us and all of these things. And I think there's, you know, something really beautiful about this movie, you know, also showing too, like, in the end, it was it was not about material possessions. It was about something that was so much more, which is the connection between us. You know, Mm -hmm. and specifically, you know, here it was the connection of love between, you know, a man and a woman, a man who did everything he needed to do to pursue this woman, to woo her for matrimony. They get married, they spend a wonderful life together, and and then they die, right? But they died having each other. And that this place that was built was a place that wasn't about wealth and power and all of those things. It was a monument to the beauty of love. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, I, I, I think you put it so well that, yeah, in the end, your greed, it's going to get you 
nowhere because it doesn't really matter whatever it is, even if you get it. The things that we're greedy for almost always tend to be things that are immaterial and have no ability to truly make us joyful in life. Mm -hmm. There's a complete difference between joy and happiness. Yes, something can make you happy for a few minutes, maybe a a few months, but it wears off, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the beauty of something like love that grows and changes and and helps morph you into better people, hopefully, that's something that that lasts forever, you know? Um, So, yeah, I, I love that. So, obviously, Sandra Bullock cut her teeth on movies like this. You know, like, her first really big movie was While You Were Sleeping, still one of my favorites. And Mm -hmm. so, how did you feel about, you know, her being back in a film like this? I thought that she was definitely the thing that tied it all together. Um, I think a lot of times it's her weight of the emotion on her face um, that can carry a scene. Um, and then importantly to her chemistry with other people and that I think she's very much known at this point who it's going to work well with and who it's not. Um, and I'm sure had a role in choosing who she was going to co-star with. Um, so yeah, I, I think she was brilliant and I think she does such a good job of showing, a woman who's in pain and not sure how to move forward and then is unexpectedly wooed by this guy that she didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I think what's great about having Sandra Bullock here, too, is that I think because, you know, she's older and that age actually helps us like with the story of having lost a husband. And, you know, like you said, she allows all of that to be written all over her face for, Mm -hmm. you know, a a good portion of the film. And I think that's really important. And, you know, like always, I think she She's just, she is a good actress, and I've I've been a fan of her since, you know, I saw Why You Were Sleeping, and a huge fan of hers, and seen most of her films because of it, and I think she just continues to be good, and, and I thought it was really fun for her to kind of, it was, it was great for her to just, the way she has the metamorphosis from going from being, you know, somebody who is staying at home all the time to being somebody who realizes she loves being alive again and the adventure that you can have out there and even the the opportunity that love could happen again, you know? And I think, you know, there's an interesting thing and in that she's older than Channing Tatum in the film. I think that's something that's also unexpected for her is to fit somebody younger could also be that person for her, you know? Yeah. And so I love the way that works. You know, we we have so many movies where you have older guys and younger girls, but I love that we have that's the older woman here with the younger guy. And, and I think it really, it works great because on top of, well, not on top of, but anyway, uh, with Sandra Bullock, you've got Channing Tatum and, you know, he's, he's so good at this type of comedy, which is kind of the lovable dummy. 
Mm-hmm. And he's he's just great in this type of role. Uh, and I think he also does a fantastic job of, of having a metamorphosis in the film, of being somebody who is only living up to the expectations of people to being somebody who surpasses those expectations because of his feelings for somebody else. Right. And in many ways, he mirrors the story um, that we see written on the wall of the two people that are buried in the tomb. Right. He is actively doing things to woo this woman. And it's different than what we saw on the wall. He's not, you know, gathering, you know, these seashells to make this crown, but he's doing these things to prove that he's more than she thought he was. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of fun. And he's just, I mean, he's great. And of course, you know, he looks good. So I'm glad you said it first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just an obvious fact. So, but Yeah, I I love that you drew that comparison as well of each thing that he did being similar to the guy from the story pulling together every individual seashell over time to woo her. Um, He at first is completely intimidated by her. And I love that he even says at one point, she just opens her mouth and beautifulness comes out. I don't know what to say. (laughs) Um, And that's how people can make you feel. And it's it's just really wonderful to see him also playing this softness to a character as well. And um, it's something that you see sometimes that he's done before, like in, if you've ever seen the movie step up, it also comes across as kind of a silly movie, but he plays the same kind of character where he's not who you think he is. And he even says at one point in that movie as well, you don't know me. And I love that they show that there's different sides to the character as well as different sides to what Channing Tatum can portray on screen. Um, And I'm thinking specifically, too, of like the scene where they fall asleep in the hammock together. You know, it starts out as kind of a joke, but then it they show that the two of them really do have a closeness that's starting to form um, and that it's not just physical, that it's also they, they need each other and he already cares for her and she's growing to, to care for him. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I also think that Brad Pitt could not be in a better choice for Jack Trainer. <laughs> just, he is, I was talking about this with my wife as we were leaving the theater and, and you know, because we saw the, the trailer for the new uh, Nick Cage movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that that looks so good and the reason this works with Brad Pitt is that what they're doing is they're making fun of their persona and they're willing to make fun of themselves. So right. Brad Pitt kind of has this persona and here he's just completely riffing and and playing with all of the ideas of who we kind of think Brad Pitt is and making a joke of it. And it's so funny. It, he's so good at it. Um, and, I mean, I guess I'm kind of glad that he's not dead and now I'm worried that he's also going to be the villain if they do another one of these. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
Yeah, he definitely took what people think of him as a person and turned it uh, into a character. Um, I love that they have him actually steal Alan's line and say, shh, you're safe now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and she's like, how are you this good looking? Um, but I like, too, that they get to have Brad Pitt be this more... Um, grisly character that you know he looks like he has been through some stuff he's got the long hair and the beard to show for it and he's got all his tactical gear Mm -hmm. and it's like alan knew him from yoga class and yet this guy is like still navy seal ready to go (laughs) yep so i mean he's just fantastic in the role and um i i think on as with him, you also see uh, Divine Joy Randolph playing Beth, and I just really enjoy her in the role because she is this kind of put-upon character who's trying to take care of this person who doesn't want to take care of themselves, and, you know, and she's willing to do whatever it takes, though, to help her friend in the end. Like you said, she is a friend. To Loretta, even though Loretta's kind of been a crappy friend to her, mm-hmm. she's continued to be a good friend to, her, uh, to Loretta, and I think she plays it really well. And the and the the little thing that she has with Oscar Nunez's character, Oscar, is hysterical. Um, I like that. Apparently, she he's in now. You know, Sandra Bullock movies, just the way he was in the proposal, uh, right? So. <laughs> You know, it's it's fantastic. I like both of them together were really funny and I I just appreciated her her role and I thought she did it really well and um yeah, it was great. Yeah, she was so engaging and you don't know at first with that kind of character if they're just going to be the overbearing person that's constantly trying to get the main character to step in line um, or if they're going to have some growth themselves and she really gets to show who she really is and grow as well. And I love that they have her then go along to rescue her friend and not just like in mm-hmm. Romancing the Stone, sit sit in New York and wait. Um, and I like that she has that scene with a brief monologue about how hard she's been working for so long and doesn't sleep and just wants a massage on her shoulders yes. and her feet at the same yes. time. <laughs> that was great. That was yeah. absolutely great. Uh, and, and then in the end, she gets it, which is fantastic. Yeah. Really interesting choice for the villain here, Daniel Radcliffe. And how did that work for you? So you don't expect him to be the villain at first. I mean, you know, you you see her get kidnapped, but then there he is looking so sweet and smiling and he's got all this cheese, which you're like, okay. Um, But he, Daniel Radcliffe, I think in general, because everyone knows him mainly from Harry Potter, you immediately think, oh, he's a good guy. So I think that he was a great choice for this role because he completely subverts expectations. Um, Mm -hmm. and he's so good at being all buttoned up costume wise, but then getting more and more deranged and showing who he really is and that he's this greedy, jealous person that doesn't have any happiness in his life. Yeah, I, I think he was perfect for the role and mainly because it is kind of against type. But he is very good at kind of playing manic and strange and slightly creepy, which mm-hmm. is excellent for this. 
And I think you picked up on something that is really important for it is that, you know, he just sees himself as being this victim and that gives him the license then to do what he's doing. And I, I think, you know, that's what I see as being dangerous at instead of looking at himself and being like, I wonder why my father gave the company to my younger brother. Is it possibly because of choices that I've made that he sees that maybe I'm I'm not the right person to be leading this? You know, mm-hmm. like, I think that's the thing that to which he never asks, you know, and, and it, the danger of just kind of falling into victimhood and allowing that to be the thing that drives you is it's absolutely 100 percent dangerous. Well, exactly. I mean, he. He thinks that everyone has been against him and that he deserves this because of all he's been through and because he's been passed over for the company. And it's it's exactly what you said, where he never stops and takes a look at why that might have happened. And that maybe it's just a matter of perspective and he's not actually the victim. Um, or that maybe there's something he could do to change the situation for the mm-hmm. better. He just completely takes it and mm-hmm. goes off the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you, too, you know, this movie, we talked about the fact that it, it has some action and adventure to it. Uh, that's a big part of the film. And so I wanted to know for you how that did you like that the way that plays out here in the movie? Did you think it was well done? Yeah, actually, um, I was kind of surprised because I think initially you expect a movie that looks more like a comedy to not necessarily have the greatest action or to maybe be all like set pieces. But this was filmed in Dominican Republic. And so they're using real backdrops. And um, I thought particularly the motorbike chase was really cool. Um and uh, I think the only thing that bothered me was even though it's done for comedic value, the leech scene is hard to watch, <laughs> but it was I, done well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a uh, yeah, I'm sure there were parts of the leech scene that you really appreciated. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, that was I, I'm not a huge bug person or anything like that. So it was super gross. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, no, I I thought that all of that was really fun in the film. And I think. What I loved is that a lot of the movie was more on location, it felt like, you know, and mm-hmm. um, the movie didn't feel ultra cheesy in like doing lots of really terrible CGI stuff. There's there's some there's some places where it, it that you could tell. Otherwise, though, I I thought it was great. And it's the exact type of thing you want from this type of movie when it comes to the the action and adventure and some of it being over top and it's silly. It, it's all kind of a part of it. You know, um, I actually thought, you know, the action stuff they were having Brad Pitt do was fantastic when it came uh, yeah. to those, those fight scenes. It was just actually really cool. So, uh, well done on their part to, to make that, um, as engaging and, and, and neat, uh, uh as it actually was. So. And funny. Yeah, I, yeah, it was at, oh no, it was that would that stuff was hysterical. Um so and I think that was the other thing um was that you know with that action adventure the movie was actually still funny. Um you know mm-hmm. it 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 had a lot of good laugh out loud moments. So it was fantastic. 
So one thing I did want to bring up as well is if anyone has seen movies like Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, um, those Michael Douglas movies from the 80s, it's very similar. And that's kind of one thing that I might give it a, a negative mark for is that there are some like exact replicas of scenes from Romancing the Stone, like the car breaks down so they've got to walk Mm -hmm. she's in impractical clothing for the jungle and they meet a guy named jack literally in both movies who's like the guide even though i i do like in this movie that they surprise you by getting rid of jack and then you know it's it's the other guy alan that's got to lead everything but it was interesting they even had the um dancing scene where they're you know on the square with the singer and everything Mm -hmm. um just a, a lot of stuff that's exactly the same. But I loved that movie and um, that didn't necessarily end up being a bad thing. Yeah. So. It's been a long time since I've seen Romance in the Stone. So none of those things like clicked with my brain because I, I legitimately probably haven't seen it in 15 years or so. So it, it, it didn't have any impact. But it does make sense as we called out just as we were talking how so much of this film owes to that type of film. So it Mm -hmm. makes complete sense that they would end up doing that. And so I think it would be interesting to see if they will possibly do a sequel uh, to this because obviously they leave it open for one, the opportunity. And, you know, if written correctly, it could be a lot of fun. So, yeah. And, and this does still have some things that make it unique you know, like we said about having the story based around a woman who lost her husband. She's not just a single woman writing about the life she wished she had, like in Romancing the Stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Christy, what would you end up rating then The Lost City? So I surprised myself even with uh, the how highly I would rate this. Um, but there's a lot of really good things underneath the surface in this movie. And... um you know how much I love a good dirty joke, and it's got a lot of those too. And I also am going to show my true colors and tell everybody right now, I love a good romance novel. I'm not ashamed to say it. And so it also joked about that, which I loved. So um, I am going to end up giving this a four out of five shredded jumpsuits. Fantastic. Oh, mm-hmm. very nice. Uh you know, I'm actually with you in the sense that I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. My wife and I had a great date night watching it. We both enjoyed it and, and thought it was clever. Uh, I think it's something that we would watch again just because of that. Uh, you know, I, I think for me, it's probably three and a half out of five leeches. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it's, but, you know, very close to where you are, um, and that's not a reflection on the that the movie is bad or anything. I just think it it's just kind of in that space. The the beauty of it is just really fun to watch. And so, you know, I think it's it's a perfect movie. Go go on a date night, go with some friends, you know. It it's it's a it's a big silly movie uh and it was fun to see. So, I I'm definitely glad we ended up talking about it and I'm actually I'm looking forward to kind of watching it again. So, yeah. well, with that, Christy, it is the time of the show where we give some recommendations. So I am very excited to see what you want to recommend to everyone this week. 
Well, I mean, I don't see how you thought I would recommend anything other than a romance novel. Oh, well, of course, yes. <laughs> but um, I, it, I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite things. Sometimes you just want to escape into a funny book. And um, I will say, if you like something that's a little bit more romance, less spicy, um, Heaven, Texas by Susan Elizabeth Phillips is a really cute book that then also has some spicy elements in it. Um, and it's about a girl named Gracie who is a production assistant and is sent to go recruit a famous athlete for a movie. And voila, sparks fly. So uh, I think I know. And in Texas. Um, so I recommend that. Um, and then also, if you're looking for something even spicier, check out books by Ainsley Booth or Kaylee Ryan, because those are also more into the spicy territory of romance novels. All right. Well, fantastic. Uh, I'm going to recommend. Uh, so it's going to sound weird because we're recommending I'm recommending this after the Oscars and it just won Best Picture. Uh, but that doesn't always mean anything. And although I did not think it was the best picture of the year, I would give that to Dune, uh, and that's what should have won the Oscar, I thought Coda was phenomenal. Mm. And I would highly encourage anybody, if you have not checked out Coda, go check it out on Apple+. Plus. It's fantastic. If you need to create a account you know, for a free trial or whatever, do it. It's fantastic. It really is. Um, I loved the movie. And I, I think anybody, if you, I don't know. If you don't like the movie, I feel like you don't have a heart. It's just it's just great stuff. So awesome. I highly encourage, yeah, everybody to check out Coda. But Christy, where can people find you if they want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on? Well, you can find me, of course, on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And when I'm not there, I'm also sometimes in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And I do another show in addition to the 602 Club called Sabers and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network called Skynet. And we get to cover geeky things that we don't usually get to talk about. Um, and one of them, for example, was Amanda and Eric's Geek Wedding. Um, and then soon to come, Geek Baby, because we're going to indoctrinate her. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, they are having a girl. So very excited. So anyway, check that out at Sabres and Spells. What about you? Well, you could find me uh, all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 So Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, any of those type of places, uh, just search for that name. Uh, you can also find me here on the network when I'm not in the 602 Club with you or uh, on the bonus shows like Snyder Cuts and Assembling Avengers. Uh, I'm doing The Orb, Warp 5, Literary Treks, and The Artificial Tango. The Orb's about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then The Artificial Tango, Chris Jones and I are walking through Season 2 right now of Star Trek Picard, which has been so much fun. And then I'm over on the Nerd Party Network. One of the shows is a finished show called Owl Post. I did that with Drea Kaufman. And we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, John Mills and I do aggressive negotiations as we talk about Star Wars. But thank you so much for joining us. And let's go find the lost city of D.